morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad that you are here with us today as we gather in the house of the Lord. A few announcements as we get started um, in our bulletins. As always, is a tear-off portion. Please, if you're a guest, fill that out. Put in the offering plate as it goes by in a little while, and uh, we will have a record of your attendance and be able to follow up and pray with you as needed. On the other side is the prayer request decision information side. Please give us your prayer request. We pray in our staff at 11 o'clock on Tuesdays now, nowadays, the, each week on Tuesday. So we'd be delighted to pray for you. And we do want, you know, those are kept confidential. So you don't have to put a name on it if you don't want just anything we, you need to pray for. We'd be delighted to do that. So always a blessing. A uh, few other opportunities for this week. Tonight, remember, we have our encounter service for adults here at 5 o'clock. RAs, GAs, Mission Friends, Children Choirs, also at 5 o'clock. And then uh, this Wednesday, our Wednesday night supper is Sloppy Joe's. So make sure to come out for that. And uh, I did want to make mention they are starting to serve at 5 o'clock nowadays on Wednesday nights. So it says 5.30, and that's fine. But if you're here by around 5, welcome to start eating. So that's a good, a good time. And then on Wednesday night following, we will have our next series of Connect Groups start up. So these are our adult video-based Bible studies. We had three in the last six weeks, and I heard wonderful testimonies and, and stories of, of God working in those three studies. Our next three studies are in a flyer that looks like this. They are on the back table on your way out. Feel free to pick one up and take it home and kind of decide where if you would like to be involved in one of these this week. I'll give you a real quick summary of these three studies. Number one is Grace is Greater. It's a a book by Kyle Eidelman, and uh, he was the one who wrote the Not a Fan study that we just finished. And he reminds us that God's grace is greater than our setbacks and our failures. It's a really wonderful book. should be a great study. It'll meet in the Williams Room, 6 o'clock Wednesday nights. The other one is Living in Truth, which is a lady study, but doesn't have to be just for ladies. So this is about uh, where culture that says there's not truth and uh, there's no truth to be found about God and how we're becoming a target of secular media, aggressive atheist, atheist propaganda, false ideas of the body of Christ. And this study will help you learn how to strengthen your relationship with God and be able to talk about your faith with others in these challenging times. So that's called Living in Truth. And the third study is Radical by David Platt, and we did that in Sunday school a while back. For those of you who weren't able to do it, uh, we will offer that as well this uh, coming six-week segments. Then these will all be offered again in the spring. So if you went to one and you want to go to another, be ready. It'll come back. We also have our, our 615 prayer meeting over here, as well as Awanas and youth ministries all starting this Wednesday night. A couple other really quick things. I don't know how many of you are camping type people, but our retreat this this fall is a campground retreat. We're, we're calling it a youth family retreat, but it's not just youth families. Any families that want to come, we've sort of reserved the entire Holiday Lake State Park, the cabins, the lodges, and all the tent and group sites. So if you'd like to come November 17 to 19 and you enjoy camping, bring your family. We're charging $50 for an entire family. And if you uh, don't have a family, it's $25 a person. So that is a very reasonable cost. You just bring all your camping supplies, come out, and we're going to be doing worship and Bible study and recreation, and there's fishing and hiking. So we'd love to see anybody from Mechanical Baptist join us uh, for our camping. There are flyers over in the Family Life Center for that. All right, I will put on my Elf Karen hat now, see if I can transition to that. I did not bring my script, so I'm going on memory. So 
Where's Karen at? Is she here? Okay, so if I forget something, she can't blame me. Our um, Operation Christmas Child begins uh, our packing day next Sunday, which is November 5th, I believe, right, Tim? November 5th, next Sunday. And it's going to start at 1230 over in the Family Life Center. So we are not having a lunch as a church for this day. So I would encourage this service to go get a quick bite to eat, bring it back, come over to the Family Life Center and help pack up. We have 200 boxes that we're going to pack up tomorrow or next Sunday. And then there are about 205. Our goal is 405. I'm not sure why 405, but 405. So there's 205 boxes that will need to be filled by the church as a whole. So the list of what goes in those boxes are out here and in the Family Life Center. So we need 205 boxes brought in between now and November 19th. And then the other 200 will be packing and assembling next Sunday. So that would count for the 405. Uh, anything I forgot on that, Tim? Um, 1230, uh, early, early service people can go eat come back. You guys, we have about a half hour after the service to come back. You can even bring a lunch and eat it over there. It probably takes less than an hour from what I understand. Very good. So anyway, be, a, be in prayer for that. And uh, we appreciate so much all your gifts and donations to make these Operation Christmas Child uh, boxes come together. All right. I think that's all I have. We good? All right. Good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, you know me. You got to really convince me that you're alive and well. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Um, before we go to God in worship, I'd like to introduce a dear friend of mine, Steve Lacombe. Um, he was my accompanist when I taught at Stonewall for five or six years. Um, he's still a company in the high schools. Not only is he a colleague, but he's an awesome friend. Um, so I'd like to thank him. He's going to be accompanying our choir this morning. So thank you, Steve. He's a very busy man, so I feel honored that he still will let come play for me sometimes. So thank you, Steve. Okay, are you ready to go to God and worship? Yes. Okay, that was pretty good. But can we do it again? Are you ready to worship our holy and savior God? Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome God. It's in your hymnals on page 63 if you need the words. And if you don't, I'd like you just to stand for me and sing with us from your heart. And praise God, we are going to sing it through twice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, God, for your presence being here with us in this very place. 
for being real and for being active and for working in our lives. God, we pray your Holy Spirit is welcomed here that we uh, sense and know that you are good. God, may you be glorified in this service. May you be glorified in everything we do and everything we say. May all uh, that we do here this day point to you, Jesus, and, and glorify your precious name. God, we give this to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymnals and let's turn to hymn number 535, I Am Thine, O Lord. Hymn 535, let's stand together as we sing this wonderful hymn. Turn with us in your hymnals to page 493. 
We are going to be doing the responsive reading revival with repentance at the top of 493. I will be reading the lighter colored portion. Together you'll be reading the worshipers, the darker portion. And then men and women have specific lines as well uh, in here. So kind of keep yourselves on your toes for this one. All right, let's begin. Lord, restore us to yourself. Renew our days as in former times. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I confess my guilt. I am anxious because of my sin. My sins have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. I put my hope in you, Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's again take our hymnals, turn to hymn number 330, this wonderful chorus, Spirit of the Living God. We're going to stand and sing it two times through, Spirit of the Living God, hymn number Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come here today to honor and praise you and thank you for everything, for we know that everything comes from you. And now it's time for us to give back a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. And I pray that you will bless this offering and use it to further your kingdom by helping others around the world to learn more about Jesus Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
before we go to prayer, I wanted to tell you that the flowers on the altar this morning are given in memory of Bill Little by the family upon the occasion of his passing this past week. And so uh, we are thankful that they shared these beautiful white flowers with us this morning uh, to grace our sanctuary. And I did want to make mention of that uh, to you. Let's bow for prayer. Eternal God, creator in every good and every perfect gift, into your presence we come on a day that you have given to us. Thankful for the rain that replenishes the earth. Thankful for your mercy that endures from generation to generation. Recognizing, Father, that you have come to us to save us. And for this we give thanks. We are grateful, Father, that as we claim the promises that come from you that if we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we, Father, confess our sins to you. Father, in a world that is sin-ridden, it is difficult sometimes to know the power of sin in our lives because we live with that reality every day. And yet, like your servant David, we call upon you to cleanse our hearts. We're grateful, Father, that as we gather, we can lift up those who are in need of prayer. Those, Father, who are recuperating from surgery, those who are facing surgery, those who are facing treatment for cancer, whatever their circumstances or situations. We pray for them. We pray for those who are ill even this morning And who are not with us. We pray father that you would bring comfort and healing to those who are in need. And for those father who have lost loved ones. We pray that you will comfort as only you can. The presence of your spirit can bring to them joy even in the midst of sorrow. As they focus on the reality of the resurrection. We're thankful, Father, that our faith rests in a hope beyond even our understanding. A hope, Father, that took Jesus from the cross to the grave to the resurrection. We're thankful, Father, that we have missionaries all over the world this morning proclaiming that gospel. We're thankful, Father, that as they go, they meet the needs of people around them. And at the same time, Father, they are given the opportunity to share. We pray that you will supply their needs. If they are discouraged, encourage them. If they are afraid, comfort them. We are grateful, Father, for the calling upon their lives to go. Thank you for each person present in this sanctuary this morning and for those who are in Sunday school and in the earlier worship. We are thankful, Father, that when we come, we come to praise your name and to listen for a word from you. And yet we also come out of need. We come, Father, because we need to be close to you and close to others who believe. We're thankful, Father, for the gift of our time together. We're thankful for your word and for its power in our lives. And so, Father, we seek your will for your church, 
and for our lives. Bless the work that will begin on Wednesday as we begin new Connect sessions. We pray, Father, that people's lives will be touched and transformed as a result of coming together to learn and to grow. We know, Father, that your love for us is greater than our understanding of that love. And so we pray, Father, that we might feel the power of your love and your presence. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Our scripture reading this morning is the 51st Psalm, a Psalm of David, of confession and repentance, under the heading, The Scandal of a Singer, because the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after his affair with Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Psalm 51 is appropriately revered as the most moving and memorable of the seven psalms of penitence. It is the most profound statement of what penitence truly involves to be found in the Psalter, at least many would say in the entire Bible. The psalm is from the Davidic collection and it is attributed by its superscription to David himself in the time when the prophet Nathan confronted him with the sin of his adultery with Bathsheba. David begins his prayer with a plea for mercy and forgiveness of God. It is the only proper posture left to the sinner whose fall is inevitably the result of the variableness of his loyalty to God but who can ever depend upon the utter consistency of God's attitude towards him. Thus the prayer is for mercy, which is in accord with God's unchanging love, and for an erasure of sins in accord with God's multiple tenderness. This psalmist never discloses what his sin was, but he, is, but he recognizes it as plainly and inexcusably wrong. 
And such a recognition makes repentance inevitable for, as the poet so graphically puts it, the recognized but unforgiven sin continually haunts me. For about 3,000 years, this psalm has been a pattern of penitence. Scarcely will one find a poem that throbs with such heartbeat. Across the centuries, men who have been guilty of David's sin have found in his confession a pattern of prayer. Others whose sins have been different have found equal verbalization of their contrite and broken hearts. The psalm is autobiographical. The psalm is David confessing his sin before God and falling upon God's mercy and grace. There are at least four areas of the message that challenge us. And we will look at those briefly this morning. First, we read of a perversion committed. In 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we read the story of David's sin. David's men were at war. One night he arose from his bed and went to the roof garden of his palace. From there he saw Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, bathing herself. He sent for her. She came. After spending the night together, she returned to her home. Later she notified David that she was to have a baby as a result of this unholy visit. The king sent Uriah into battle with instructions to Joab that Uriah should be put in place of greatest danger. This Joab did. And Uriah was killed in battle. This is exactly what David desired. Following a period of mourning by the widow, David sent for her and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore the child that was conceived on that shameful night. Nathan confronted David with the story of the rich man who took the poor man's lamb and killed it rather than one of his own to entertain a guest. Upon the recitation of the story, David was indignant at the rich man's conduct. Then Nathan uttered to him those well-known words found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, You are the man. Child born to Bathsheba and David died and his death compounded the grief of the king confronting his own sin. A perversion had been committed by the one who had followed God all the days of his life in reality. Who had by faith struck down the giant Goliath. Who by faith had conquered the enemies of God. And yet in his humanness, in his sinfulness... He committed a perversion against God. And only when the prophet Nathan called it to his attention in such a tender way did David convict himself. He confessed in Psalm 51.4 Against you and you only have I sinned. The Bible offers no victorious solution to the problem of sin apart from confession. There is no passing the buck. There is no plea of innocence. There is no blaming the sin on Bathsheba. There is no psychiatric rationale, no situation ethics, and no self-justification. David assumes full responsibility for his conduct. 
He has come to see the whole black chapter through the eyes of God and is sick in heart and convicted in soul. Whatever our motivation to sin, its passion, its effect in self and in others is always basically and finally a sin against God and against God alone. As it is God who is the norm and reason for our rightness, so it is God against whom every sin is an attack, to whom every sin is an affront. This is not to say, of course, that no others are hurt by sin. One self indeed most damaged of all. Sin hurts others as well, but it hurts God greater. It is to say that whatever the harm to neighbor or self, it is God who suffers most of all and always. This is truly a profound insight and one which anticipates the concept of a servant redeemer who suffers. And indeed Christ's death on Calvary as well shows us how far God is willing to go to redeem us from our sinfulness. He was willing to give his son to die. His sacrifice for our sins was greater than what we are willing to do. Thus does the poet declare that his sin is ultimately against God alone. That what he has done is evil in God's sight primarily. And that God is therefore justified in his accusations and proper in his verdict. David knew the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. And it cost him the child born to he and Bathsheba. But at the same time, look what it cost God to forgive us. To provide forgiveness for our sins. John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But what was the next thing David asked for? Cleansing. The sinner asks for cleansing and there is every reason to believe that he receives it. In the sin battle, cleansing always follows confession. The Bible tells us very clearly in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here then is our hope and our optimism. Not that we sin, but there is always a remedy for sin. There is a way out. And it is always up with God. The second observation we make about David in this psalm is a prayer. David asked for mercy in verse 1. This is always the beginning place for the guilty sinner. Having confessed his sinfulness and its terrible meaning, the poet proceeds to confess also the sinful context of which he is a part and to make more specific his request for God's mercy. David knew that the only way for forgiveness, the only way back to God, was God's mercy shown toward him. And so it is with us. It is by God's mercy that we have even heard Of our need for salvation. It is by God's mercy that we can find forgiveness. David asked for forgiveness in verse 1. To blot out means to erase so completely that the pencil marks don't even show. 
He asked that God forgive him so that he could move forward. In verse 2, David prays for cleansing. Not only must the mercy from above be called to deal with the sins of the past, but the pollution of the present demands the detergent of a divine visitation. Cleanse me of my sin. This past week, I spilled gravy on one of my favorite shirts. I was pulling something out of the microwave. It was a smart one, okay, for those on Weight Watchers. And I spilled the gravy on my shirt. So being the man that I am, I said, well, I'll deal with it later, and I threw it in the clothes hamper. Janet grabs up the clothes, washes them, and hangs up the shirt. And I put it on on Monday when we're heading to Eagle Irie. And a little ways um, up the road, I noticed that that gravy stain didn't completely come out. And I said, these people think I'm losing my mind. He's wearing dirty clothes. The shirt was clean, but it was stained. So I wore it the rest of the day, and I said, well, they just call me sloppy. I explained to them what was going on. But when I came home, I decided that I was going to wash that shirt again because it is one of my favorite shirts. So I sprayed a little spray and wash or whatever. This is not an advertisement for them. But I sprayed a little bit of that on there, threw it in with some other clothes, and hoped for the best. And guess what? It came out, and the stain was gone. You see, it needed a little something extra to be clean. David needed to be cleaned and he needed a little something extra. He needed what God could do for him because he couldn't do it himself. He was riddled with guilt after Nathan confronted him with his sin and he said to God, I need your mercy, I need your forgiveness, but I need your cleansing. And then David went one step further in verse 10. David asked for a clean heart. Forgiveness is not just the neutralizing of history. It is the purging of the present. The heart is the beginning place for today and tomorrow. David wanted a clean heart. David's heart had been polluted and corrupted by sin and lust and desire and all of those things that make us human. But he called on God to clean him up. David also in verse 10 asked for a right spirit. Steps never will be what they ought to be unless there is the right spirit within. In verse 10, David pleads for the right spirit. And in verse 11, he pleads for the Holy Spirit. It is not stretching the scriptures to assert that the only right spirit is that born of and accompanied by the Holy Spirit. You see, David's spirit was weak and frail and he needed the spirit of God in his life just as we do. Remember what Jesus said. Wait here until you are empowered by the Spirit to go into the world. We need the Spirit. David knew that he couldn't do what needed to be done on his own. And so he cried out for the Spirit. And then he went another step. He said, David asked for the restoration of joy in verse 12. It is possible to lose the joy of a possession without losing the possession itself. 
David does not ask for replacement of salvation, but for the restoration of the joy of that salvation. You know, if we listen to all the negative things that are said about the church, if we listen to all the negatives that are said about things in the world, if we listen to all the negatives that people can say even about us, it can rob us of our joy. David had been robbed of his joy by his own sin. And he was in the barrel looking out and he said to God, Have mercy on me, forgive me, cleanse me, cleanse my heart. But also restore my joy. David asked for support in verse 12. The old saint voiced a familiar yearning of us all when he prayed, O Lord, prop me up on the leaning side. Look at verse 12. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted. And and then that's verse 13. In verse 12 he says, And uphold me by your generous spirit. Allow me to lean on you, God. I can't do this by myself. If the king of all of Israel couldn't do it by himself, how are we any better? He calls upon us to lean on him. Oh Lord, prop me up on the leaning side. And then David asked for deliverance in verse 14. From the blood guiltiness of the past sin, from the bludgeoning of the present conscience, and from the perils of tomorrow's temptations, the penitent sinner cries, and his cries are heard. The most important liberation movement is the movement of the Spirit of God in the hearts of people. More serious and more obvious than any generation gap is the regeneration gap. High on the courthouse at one time in Cleveland, Ohio, are the prominently carved words, Obedience to law is liberty. More than 50 years ago, Dr. George W. Truett stood on the steps of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. and said, Liberty within the law is the formula of civilization. People are free, not in immunity from law or in rebellion against law, but in obedience to law. Paul voiced it well in Romans when he said, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. David said, I have sinned against you, God. I have broken your law. Against you and you only have I sinned. It is a remarkable list of requests incorporating the recognition of urgent need for God's presence, the incompatibility of sinful life with that desire, the conviction that God can render the sin record null and void, the view that the right life issues from a pure heart and a reliable spirit, and the awareness that God must deliver us and also grant us the willingness to pursue the high road. But the third observation that we make is a promise. The promise is in three parts. First, we see in verse 13, the first part of verse 13, I will teach. I will teach transgressors your ways. 
If God will but cleanse David and make him right, he promises to spend his days in teaching others the ways and wonders of God. Our theology is expressed in our sociology. Genuine gratitude to God always is manifested in our attitude toward others. Sacrifice and burnt offerings kept up appearances but were not pleasing to God. His sacrifice has been the one needed in his case. A penitent broken spirit and a shattered and crushed heart. These God will not condemn. The bluffing and hypocritical whether in ritual or confession he always will condemn. But notice what David was willing to do. When David understood the depths of his sin and the heights of God's mercy, he was willing to work for him. We need that passion today. We need to understand our sinful nature, our sinfulness before God and what He has done for us in redemption through Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection. We need to come to terms with that and recognize that our sinfulness is what God has overcome. And when we do, I will teach transgressors your ways. And then the next thing he says is even better. And sinners shall be converted to you. In other words, I will teach and I will win. Sinners shall be converted unto you. It is not enough to recite platitudes which we may call teaching. We must fervently win others to Christ in fruitful evangelism. We must be willing to teach with the understanding that what we teach can transform lives as it has transformed ours. And then I like this next one. In the choir, I like this one too. I will sing, he says. I will sing, my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness to teach, to win, to sing. What greater response could come from a grateful heart? David was willing to work for God when he understood the depths of his sin and the heights of God's mercy. And the fourth thing we see as we observe this psalm is a principle. The sacrifices of God in verse 17 are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Here is the principle that operates in natural life. Flowers grow because the ground is broken for their planting. Bread is the product of broken grain. The pavements we enjoy are possible because rocks have been broken. The meat of the nut is available only when the shell is broken. The egg is broken before it becomes edible. The garments we wear are possible because bolts of fabric were broken into pattern pieces. And the sweetest perfume is the product many times of crushed flowers it is so with the spirit Dr. Forrest Fieser has reminded us that Jesus was a carpenter with souls as well as with wood and one of the works of a carpenter is to fix broken things Christ takes the broken heart and makes it new he has a way with broken dreams broken homes and broken lives he can fix them if we let him 
Campbell Morgan was once approached by a soldier who said he would give anything to believe that God would forgive sins. But I cannot believe he will forgive me if I just turn to him. It's too cheap. Dr. Morgan said to him, you were working in the mine today. How did you get out of the pit? He answered, the way I usually do. I got into the cage and was pulled to the top. How much did you pay to come out of the pit? I didn't pay anything. Weren't you afraid to trust yourself to that cage? Was it not too cheap? The man replied, oh no. It was cheap for me. But it cost the company a lot of money to sink that shaft. The man saw the light. That it was the infinite price paid by the Son of God for our salvation which comes to us by faith and not by anything that we can do. There is basically nothing new in sinning in 2017. And God specializes in forgiving and delivering us from sin. Sin confessed, forsaken, and forgiven is still the only way to victory over sin. David understood that and David understood the price paid for his sin. He understood the mercy and grace of God and he threw himself on that mercy and said, Oh Lord, forgive me and then I will teach, I will win and I will sing with joy again. David knew of the sacrifice that needed to be made. On Friday, I did a funeral for a woman I did not know. I always, uh, when I don't know someone that I'm doing a funeral for, when I speak to the family, I say, I will know who she is when you introduce her to me by what you tell me about her. Then I know her. Sometimes funeral homes get in a fix and need a minister. I was fifth on the list, so I'm not flattered. But in speaking with the family and hearing what the family had to say in the memorial service, I picked up on this. The woman had lived 91 years. She was a self-made seamstress. She dropped out of school in the sixth grade. Later, she got her GED. Later, she took some college courses. Later, she founded a business. But the one thing that her children and grandchildren remember most about her was the time that she spent with them and the sacrifices that she made for them. She would make their clothes with material that she purchased with the money that she had. And they said, and she only had a couple of house dresses to wear. You see, her life had meaning and purpose because they could see in her life someone who loved enough to sacrifice. But her life was more than that because she was a child of God. And you are children of God. And He wants to forgive you. He wants... To take your life and change it so that you, like David, can see the reality of your forgiveness. So that you too are willing to teach and to win and to sing.
Shall we pray? Oh, Lord Jesus, we are thankful for David. We see in him brokenness and humanness. We see in him many times the things, Father, that we don't want to admit to ourselves. And yet you have asked us to confess. We're thankful, Father, that David gave of himself just as he was in that moment. And you were able to restore him. Do the same for us as we confess who we are. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Our closing hymn of invitation is Just As I Am. Sometimes we sing this song so much and it's so familiar to us, we lose track of that title, don't we? David came to God just as he was. He didn't try to be something he wasn't once his sin had been confronted. He came to the Lord just as he was and asked the Lord to show him mercy. He will take us just as we are and transform us. The invitation is open to anyone who would accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and seek out this forgiveness. Whatever your desire, as we stand and sing hymn number 435.
Thank you for being a part of this service today. Uh, it's always a joy to be in the house of the Lord together. Don't forget the connect groups that start on Wednesday. I hope that you will come and participate. And if there's two you want to go to, you will have another opportunity to go. Dwight has assured us of that. So we're grateful for uh, these times together. And don't forget about uh, dinner. We serve on Wednesday. Um, we do a soft begin at 5, but they'll serve through 5.30, quarter to 6, you know. So come when you can. Uh, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Ask your neighbors where they were this morning. Uh, were they sleeping in? What were they doing? Um, I think the weather may have had some impact on us today, but I'm glad that you're here and a part of this service today because isn't it wonderful to hear of the mercy of God for our lives? Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious and eternal God, we are grateful for your mercy, for it endures from generation to generation. And you have asked us, Father, to come to you seeking forgiveness for our sins. And so we do so, Father, asking that you cleanse us. Make our hearts clean, Father, as we go and witness and win others. And sing the joy of our salvation. Bless us as we depart. In the name of Jesus, amen.